Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Ryan, and uh, man, I, I'm glad to be here for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's great to, to finally visit your church in, in person. Pastor Ben has been down to, to Palm Valley Church in, in uh, the Phoenix area a couple times. Um, he's brought some staff members down. We've uh, learned some stuff from you guys and, and collaborated on some things. It's been a really exciting relationship over the years. Um, but the second reason is honestly a little bit more selfish. Uh, this weekend, we have a heat advisory in Phoenix, and it was like 113 degrees when I left. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's as bad as it seems. It, it's that bad, really. Um, I know some people are like, oh, it's a dry heat. So is a convection oven. That, that's a dry heat. Um, I am thrilled to be up here. What, what a beautiful area. Just enjoying just walking outside, something you don't do typically in the summer in Phoenix, and uh, just enjoying this, this scenery here. Now, before I jump into the question that we're going to talk about today, let me just tell you just a little bit more uh, about myself. Uh, I've, I've been married for 17 years. Uh, my wife and I have four kids, a, a little girl that's five, a seven-year-old boy, an 11-year-old boy, and a 12-year-old boy. So man, we're, we're right in the thick of it. We're, we're a busy family. Um, I'm a third-generation pastor. And, and a lot of times when people hear third-generation pastor, you kind of make some assumptions like, wow, he must have known he was going to be a pastor. Like he's been on that track the whole time. And that's not the case with me at all. I took kind of a different route to being a pastor. I went to the Great Theological Institute, um, Arizona State University, uh, which is about as far as you can get from like a seminary or Bible school. I mean, our, our mascot's the devil, right? So <laughs> we're usually like in the top 10 list of party schools. Um, it, it's not a very godly place. Uh, but, but here's, I went there for eight and a half years. And uh, I went to graduate school too. So if you're wondering like, <laughs> wow, how did look this? <laughs> eight, that's a long time on a bachelor's degree. Now I... I I went on a little bit there too. Um, but uh, during that entire time, I never once, never once drank alcohol. I, I never once smoked a cigarette or any drugs. I never even went to a party. I wonder how. Because I wasn't invited. <laughs> I was a nerd. I was in engineering school. Um, I, God protected me through my nerddom um, and, and set me aside for something special there. Uh, I was, uh, I grew up, you know, just, just loving science and stuff like that. And I went on to, to engineering school, um, went to study uh, physics and, and chemistry materials uh, a bit. And then in, in 2004, when I graduated, uh, I became a full-time youth pastor. I had been volunteering at, at the church, at Palm Valley Church for a couple years up to that point. I, I went along there. My wife and I went with my, my youth pastor, founder of the church uh, in 2000, Greg Rollinger. And uh, he, he launched the church. My wife and I came along with him, volunteered for several years. And, and after being involved hands-on ministry, I realized that if I wanted to make the biggest impact, if I wanted to change the culture around me, if I wanted to make an, an eternal impact, then I was going to give my life to the local church. And, and that's what I did. I, I became a pastor, and I've been serving there for, for 16 years now. Now, it hasn't all been easy years. There's a lot of great, great years, a lot of amazing things that God's done. Uh, but five years ago, Greg, our, our founding pastor, my youth pastor growing up, was diagnosed with, with a terminal illness. It's called multiple systems atrophy. It's like a neurological degenerative disease. 
And it was, it, it was tragic for our church. He was given between two and nine years to live. And uh, this fast-growing, large church, large staff um, w- was in turmoil. And we came together, and we've never prayed harder. Uh, we've never trusted and, and begged God more for a miracle. Our, our entire church body kind of riled, rallied around this, but we slowly saw Greg deteriorate. And a few years ago, we began kind of a transition process where I, I became the lead pastor, and he kind of stepped down. Um, and in December, Pastor Greg uh, passed away. Uh, God mercifully took him home after, you know, years of, of struggling with that illness. And it, it, it hurt our church family. There's no other way to explain it, but, but loss is always painful. We, we grieved as a church. We, we cried as a church. But during this time, you know, a lot of questions arose. One of the questions is one that you guys kind of answered or you're going to answer in this series. Is why, do, why do bad things happen? Specifically, why do good things happen to bad people sometimes? And why do bad things happen to good people sometimes? Doesn't that frustrate you when you see that? That's something that we struggled with as a church because Greg was a good guy. So why did something bad happen to him? But, but that's not the question I'm going to ask today. The, the question I'm going to ask today is, is something that's arisen more recently. As we have been faced with, with death, death and loss and mourning, and, and we all do individually, but as a church collectively, it led to some conversations. Specifically, what happens when I die? Where do I go when I die? And that's the question we're going to tackle today. Uh, that's what we're going to answer. But before we jump into that, would you just pause a second with me? Can we pray and just ask that, that God would just maximize our time here today? Let's pray. God, we, we love you, and we are so grateful for the, the time we've been able to spend with you so far this morning. God, as, as we spend time worshiping you through music, God, we just pray that the songs that we've sung, the, the words that we've, we've, we've heard and listened to and, and recited, God, have been honoring to you. God, I pray that now as we continue to worship through hearing your word, that you would once again be honored. And not just because we're listening, not just because we're gaining new information, God, but because we intend to apply it. We intend to, to walk out different today because of the impact of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So two years ago, I'm sitting kind of in our kitchen area, and I hear my boys in the other room. And they're having this discussion about bedrock, which is kind of weird. And they're talking about how bedrock is the strongest material in the universe. Which at that point, my, my engineering senses go up. I'm like, that's, that's incorrect. You know, like, beep, 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 beep. That's wrong, that's wrong, flash, flash. I have to go in there and correct that. So, so I walk in, and I'm like, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? They're like, oh, we're talking about bedrock. Bedrock is the hardest, strongest material in the universe. I'm like, guys, actually, I hate to break it to you, but it's not. It's not. Actually, diamond is much harder than bedrock. And they'll kind of look up at me, and they're like, no, it's not, Dad. And I'm like, well, but yeah, it actually is. Diamond's harder than bedrock. And they're like, no, it's, it's not, Dad. And I'm, at this point, I'm like, all right, we're going full, full, full mode here. I'm like, guys, come with me. Come with me. So we walked down to my office. I literally did this. I walked down to like my little den, and I pointed my diploma on the wall. I'm like, guys, you see, it says, Doctor of Philosophy, Science and Engineering of Materials. I'm an expert in materials. Both bedrock and diamond are materials. I know about these things. Diamond is harder than bedrock. And they just look at me, they're like, but it's not, Dad. And I'm getting frustrated at this point, so I pull off one of my material manuals, and I, I open to my, <laughs> at that time, nine, seven, and four-year-old, show them the, the phase diagram of carbon. 
and I'm showing them the, the phase diagrams. I'm like, look here, look at the diamond structure. I'm talking about cleaving planes, atomic structure, all this stuff. I'm like, it is harder than bedrock. And they're like, they're just like looking at me blank. They're like, it's, it's not. And I'm like, why in the world do you think that bedrock is harder than diamond? Like, because when we play Minecraft, Dad. Um, <laughs> if your kids have never played Minecraft before, it's this, 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 it's like Legos on the computer. And you use different building materials of which bedrock apparently is the hardest one. And I'm trying to explain, I'm like, okay, guys, Minecraft is not real life. It's, it's not real life. And that is not your source of, of, of truth in the area of materials. It's a fun game, but, but don't, don't believe everything that you play in Minecraft. Today, we're going to be answering the question, what happens when I die? And the reason why that's sometimes such a confusing question for people is that we get input from a bunch of different areas on that. About what, what happens when I die? What does heaven look like? What, what does hell look like? And a lot of times our imagery and our thoughts and our hopes are things that we pick up from, from movies. Or maybe from, from a book. Or from someone talking. From, from pop, pop culture. You see an image, you're like, oh yeah, I really, that, that looks really, really good. I hope that that's what it's like. And we go from hoping that that's what it's like to believing that that's what it's like and having a distorted view of what forever is all about. Today, we're going to be going to the, the source of truth. We're going to be looking at, at God's word, the Bible, and, and from here, taking out what it looks like when we die. Not, not what pop culture says, not what the latest books, but what God's word says about what happens when we die. Now, to lay a foundation for this, I need to give us a little bit of, of history. In fact, I'm going to give a brief history of, of the world, of the universe. Um, don't worry, it'll only take about three hours, so just kind of settle down here. We'll kind of go through it here. I'm kidding. I'm not going to keep you here three hours. Uh, go back to the very beginning. In fact, before the very beginning, God has always existed. God wasn't created. God didn't come into being. God has eternally existed forever in the past. At some point in the past, he chose to create the universe. Everything that we see from, from the deep space telescope looking way out into space to the atomic microscope looking down at the atomic level, God created it all. And he did this for his own pleasure. He did it to bring himself glory. He also chose to create man. He created Adam and Eve and placed them down in the garden. And God had a special relationship with Adam and Eve. It says that God would come down to the garden. He would walk with them and talk with them. He had an intimate, close relationship with Adam and Eve. And at the end of God creating the entire universe, he said this, it is good. It's good. Not to our standards of good, but to God's standards of good. Because God's perfect and holy, it's, it's, it's perfection. This is exactly what God intended to create. But in this garden that God created, he placed a tree. And this tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve that you can do whatever you want down here, but you may not eat from this tree. See, God gave Adam and Eve a boundary. He gave them a rule to follow. And the reason he did this is because that Adam and Eve and God were not buddies. They weren't peers. God was the creator and they were the creation. He established this rule to, to show his authority. I'm God and you're not. So you're going to follow this one rule to show that you're obeying me. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose not to obey God. They were tempted. They ate from that, that tree. 
They ate from the fruit of that tree, and sin entered into the world. And the consequence of sin was death. They disobeyed God, and now the curse of death was now on man. Not only just man, but all of creation. Everything now had an expiration date. The humans wouldn't live forever. At some point, they would breathe their last breath and they would die. Every plant and animal would die. Everything in all of creation was now decaying because we stepped outside of God's boundary, because we rebelled against God. The penalty of that was death. And that is man's natural state. Naturally, man is separated from God in a spiritual death as well. Because of sin, because God is perfect and holy, he cannot associate with sin. So God couldn't come down and and hang out with Adam and Eve in the garden anymore. He couldn't walk with them and talk with them because they had the stain of sin on them. And God could not associate with that. So man was, was spiritually dead as well. And that is our natural state. Eternally separated from God because of our sin. So if nothing is done with that sin, if that sin remains, when we breathe our last breath, when we die, we will remain eternally separated from God. We call that hell. Hell is eternal separation from God. It's a real place that our souls live forever. But here's the beautiful part. is because God loves us so much. As he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, sent them out into the rest of the world, into this, this cursed world, he gave them a promise. He says, I'm going to solve this sin problem. I will conquer death. I will send a savior. And that's exactly what he did through Jesus. When Jesus came down here on earth, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for mankind's sin. When he rose again, he conquered death. And he offers this as a free gift, this forgiveness is a free gift to anyone who would receive it. So our natural state is death, eternal separation from God. But we have a choice to believe in Jesus Christ, to, to put our faith and trust in him. And if we do that then we are given life. We are given the opportunity for life after death. When we breathe our last breath, if we have a relationship with God, we will immediately go into God's presence. We call that heaven. It's it's, it's a real place. It's really the, the, the presence of God. Our soul, our spirit immediately goes there when we breathe our last breath. But here's the the thing that we don't often connect with it. If you were, you were to die tonight and you were to go and you had a relationship with God, you went into his presence, you would not stay there forever. More specifically, heaven wouldn't stay there forever. Let me explain it a little bit more. See, when Jesus uh, went back up to heaven after his death and resurrection, he told his disciples, he says, I want you to go everywhere and tell everyone about me. He gave them the great commission and sent them out. And he said, I am coming back. I will return. I will be back here. And when I come back, there will be a day of judgment. The, the, the dead shall rise and everyone will stand before the judgment seat. And God will determine everyone's eternity. If they have accepted a relationship with me during their time here on earth, then they will enter into eternity with me. But if they don't, then they will be eternally separated from God. And in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about what that eternity looks like. Revelation was written by the Apostle John. 
And this was a, a vision that was given to him by the Holy Spirit. God kind of pulled back the curtain of time and said, this is what the future looks like. He says this in Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So heaven is now coming down to earth. Heaven and earth are being brought back together. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. See, the place where we will spend forever is right here on a renewed earth. That God, in the end, is going to renew earth, put it back in its original connection, condition, and bring heaven down with it. And he will reign here the way that he always intended to. So, so let's walk through this in a couple of different passages of what's going to happen, what this looks like. Now, the first thing that's going to happen is that all of creation is going to be restored. All of creation is going to be restored. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. It says, For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. So when, when sin entered the world, when death entered the world, it not only affected man, it affected all of creation. All of creation began to decay. All of, decay began, all of creation began to wind down, to move to disorder. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That God is going to restore all of creation. All of it's going to be restored back to its original form. Back to the way it was before the fall. The, the language that, that John uses to describe this is like a garden-like state. That it's going to be a perfectly manicured garden. Everything is going to be just as it intended to be. That, that when you look out at the grass, the grass is all green. Now, I get that for you guys up here, green grass isn't like a, an odd thing. But in Phoenix, in Phoenix, green grass is like a treat. Uh, I'm like walking around here. I'm like, I think this is kind of what heaven's going to be like. All the grass is green. All the trees are green. Um, when I go over like a riverbed, there's like actually water going through it. Um, all of these strange things that, that are new to me. Uh, but creation can be put back into its real, this garden-like state that everything is going to be as it, as it was intended to be. You know, last week, I had a chance to take my family on a little bit of a road trip. We went to Colorado. And if you've ever been to Colorado or maybe seen pictures of it, just incredible, incredible mountain scenes, incredible meadows with flowers, and just, I'm just looking at it, I'm like, this is so beautiful. And then in my mind, I thought, and this, this is fallen. This isn't the original state. God's original creation was even more beautiful than that. I don't even have words to describe more beautiful than what I was seeing. Green's greener than what we see. 
But God is going to put creation back to right. And he's going to bring down his heavenly city, and it's going to rest here on earth. The language that John uses to describe this heavenly city, this, this new Jerusalem, he calls it, you know, streets made out of gold, foundations made out of precious stones, gates made out of pearl. Once again, this is the best language you can come up with. He, he's seen this vision of what this, this heavenly city was going to look like, this, this city that God rules and controls. And the best language is like, these are the most precious things I can think of, and this is what it's made out of. But you know, I think sometimes our words fall short. I have a friend from Maine, and we were talking a couple months ago, and he was telling me how much he loved Mexican food. And he's like, there is this incredible Mexican food restaurant there in Maine where I live. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Like, you think you have a good Mexican food restaurant in Maine? He's like, oh, it's really great. I'm like, you need to come down to Arizona. Like, we, we have some good Mexican food in Arizona. We're only you know, less than 200 miles from the border. Um, my last name's Nunez. Like, my family makes good Mexican food. It's like in our genes. Like, that's, that's what we do. I can take you to a taco shop right across from the church. I can give you some authentic Mexican food because I'm pretty sure what you're having in Maine, Taco Bell, is not real Mexican food. <laughs> when you taste real Mexican food, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, that's what it is. What I had before was like a, a hint of Mexican food. It was a shadow or a sketch of Mexican food. What I was eating before was like a tribute to Mexican food. This is real Mexican food. I didn't even have the words to describe it. Once I've experienced it, I get it. But when we finally see this, this restored earth, this heaven brought down to earth, back to its original condition, we're going to be like, that's what John was seeing. That's what he was trying to describe. That's what earth looks like without the curse of death. All of creation will be restored. But it's not just creation. It's us as well. Our, our bodies will also be renewed. Our bodies will be renewed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul's writing about this renewal in our bodies. He puts it this way. He says, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now, what I want to be clear on here, when we talk about spiritual bodies, we're not talking about less than real bodies. We're not talking about less than, than physical. These, these spiritual bodies are more real than what we have now. The example of this would be Jesus' resurrected body. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't really there. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a figment. In fact, doubting Thomas's issue was, yeah, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead until I can touch him myself. And Jesus showed up and touched me. You can touch me. I'm really here. But, but even more so, he wasn't limited by the things that we're limited by. The, the, the spiritual body, everything is renewed in this. What does that mean? What's absent from this body? Well, the thing that's absent is the curse of death. There is no more death in this body. There is no more decay. There is no more deterioration. There are no more aches. And pains, everything works properly, everything's put in its proper location. All of the, the 
ligaments that have been taken out, all of the joints that have been replaced are back in their original form. Your body is back the way it was originally intended to be. You're fully alive. At this point, you're drinking coffee not to wake up in the morning, but just because you love it. I think there's going to be coffee in heaven. (laughs) The things that you eat, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but there aren't going to be things that you eat that harm your body. You don't have to look at the food labels anymore. We've got a little kid around the corner. His name's Camden. Camden, he's my, my son Abraham's friend. He's like seven years old, but he's like a little tiny guy. And he, when he first came over to our house, he walks in, like literally walks in. He's like, hey, what snacks do you guys got? We're like, well, we got, some, we got some apple. We're trying to be good. Like, we don't honestly eat all that healthy, but with the neighbor kid over, we're like, oh, we got some apples and some bananas. He's like, how about some chips? We're like, yeah, we got chips. Are you allowed to have chips? No, my mom doesn't let me have chips. <laughs> well, well, we're not going to give you chips then, Cam. He's like, well, how about one? I just have one chip. <laughs> no, we're not going to give you a chip, Cam. So he comes back. The next day, and he's like, I talked to my mom. I can have chips at your guys' house. So I go, okay, he loves potato chips. So whenever he comes over, we give him some potato chips. This kid's just starving for chips. He has this craving, but he he can't satisfy it at home. Well, a couple, like two months ago, he comes to my son Abraham's birthday. And he's got like the big birthday party bag, and he's all proud. He's like, Abraham, open my gift for, open my, and like the whole time, like as soon as he shows up, he wants Abraham to open his gift. And we're like, we're not doing it yet. You know, wait like an hour. He's just like antsy. Finally, Abraham opens up the bag. Do you know what's in there? A big, huge bag of chips. He gave Abraham a bag of potato chips. And he's like, open them up, Abraham. <laughs> Let's eat some chips. <laughs> this kid's going to be 500 pounds someday. Chips. I don't know if there'll be chips in heaven. I hope so. Camden hopes so, certainly. Uh, but they won't have the bad effects on us. Uh, they, they, will be, they will be made whole. They will be put back into their original condition where chips were made to be healthy. I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But, but everything will be put back to right. Our bodies will be renewed. You know, the last thing, though, is that when we look at this, God's plan has always been reunification. God's plan has always been reunification. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 10, it says this, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and earth. God's plan has always been reunification. Ever since the fall, ever since sin entered the world and there was a divide between God and man, God's plan has to bring has been to bring it back together again. God's plan has always been restoration. As we look through scripture, God is leading his people and saving them, rescuing them so that he could bring it back together. It started off with God reigning on earth with man, that God came down and walked with Adam and talked with Adam. They had a tight, close relationship. And in the end, that's God's plan again. That God will come down to earth and he will reign here on earth over his people, physically here, present. This is God's plan. When God created the earth at the beginning, what he said, this is good. God's level of good. God's standard of good does not change. So his plan is to bring it back to good again. 
to restore creation, to renew our bodies, to reunite heaven and earth where he is once again reigning over his kingdom. And it will be good again. And that is how we will live forever. If, if we've chosen to accept God's forgiveness. If, if we started a relationship with God by, by believing, accepting the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. That is available to us. And that's how we'll live forever. Now, if we stop right here, I could pray and send you guys out and head off to lunch, and you learned a lot of stuff about, about what it looks like, what forever looks like. But, but God's word wasn't given to us for information. It was given to us for, for transformation. How are we supposed to behave in light of this? What are the impl- implications of what we're talking about here today? And the implications we find in Philippians chapter 3. Paul puts it this way. I, I love the way he says this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. That we're to act on this earth as if we are citizens of heaven. So what does a citizen mean? Let's think about it just in our context, a citizen of the United States. If you're a citizen of the United States, then we live under the rule and the authority of, of the government. We follow the rules, we follow the laws. That, that, that's what we do if you're a citizen in this country. But being a citizen is more than just following rules, right? Like if you're a good citizen, that's, you do more than just follow laws. You do more than just complete stops when you come to a stop sign. and You, you do more than just that. You actually contribute. Doctors, nurses, teachers military, firefighters, policemen, they contribute. We say those are good citizens because they're helping the country. A good citizen contributes financially. A good citizen pays their taxes. They put money in for, for the common good to, to help everyone out to, to get things done. A good citizenship isn't just sitting back and following rules. It's actually being active and engaged and lifting up the values of the country. It's, it's contributing to it. These are all the things that means being a good citizen. So what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? If we're to behave here as if we're citizens of heaven, then that means, first of all, we live under God's rule and authority. We, we follow his guidelines. We, we behave as he has called us to behave. But it's also so much more than that. Being a citizen of heaven doesn't mean we just, just follow God's rules. It means we're actually contributing to the kingdom of heaven. We're actually contributing to the kingdom of God. In fact, when, when Jesus came down here on earth, he talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven a whole lot, didn't he? He said the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And he talked about parables and all these things to describe what it looks like to live in his kingdom. What are the attitudes, Nessie? What are the things that should be important to us? What are the things that are important to him? And we're to live our lives in light of God's kingdom rules and his kingdom values. We're to put others ahead of ourselves. We're to invest in eternal things, not temporal things. I mean, think about the things that we have, the things that we have control of. Our, first of all, our time. When you think about how you spend your time, are we using our time as, as citizens of, of earth or citizens of, of heaven? 
Are we investing our time in eternal things, things that will go on forever, things that will advance God's kingdom, things that are in line with God's values and plans and purposes? Are we serving with our time? Think about our talents, the skill set that God has given us. Do we use our skills and abilities only to benefit ourselves and those immediately around us, or do we leverage that to further the kingdom of God? Our treasures, our resources, our, the stuff we have, the, the finances we have, are we investing that in God's kingdom, or are we using that and consuming it all ourselves? A, a good citizen will, will lay up those, those things and invest them in God's kingdom because it goes on forever. Here's, here's a quick filter to run it through. What's going to go on forever? Well, well there's no U-Haul that's going to go into this forever time. You, you can't pack a shipping box. What goes on forever? Well, the only thing that can go on forever are people. And not just any people, but people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So our time, our, our talents, our treasures, are we using those to forward God's kingdom, to, to point people in the direction of a saving relationship of God? Are we using our resources to point people in that way? Are we using our time to point people in that way? Are we using our talents to point people in that way? Because that is what lasts. We will all spend eternity somewhere. If we have a relationship, it will be forever in the presence of God. That point in time after Jesus comes back, when heaven comes to earth, that is what forever looks like. So the last question we kind of have is, so, so when's Jesus coming back? And as we read through scripture, there's lots of, lots of prophecy about that. You can spend a lot of time studying about, you know, hints and things that need to come. And you, you can do, spend a great time studying that. But the Bible's really clear. It says no one knows the time or date. And we all look at it and think, you know, Jesus, I think today would be a good day. Like you turn on the news, open up the newspaper, turn on the, on the TV, and you look at what's going on in our country and around the world, and you're like, God, God, do you see what's going on down here? It seems like to, this seems like a good time to come back. But, but check out what it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. That last question that kind of comes about God, and this is, how could a good God send people to hell? I can't, I struggle with that. You, you might have, have conversations with people with that. You might struggle with that. How could a good God send someone to hell? Well, here's the thing. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Man chose hell. Man chose sin. Mankind rebelled against God and headed on a path to hell. God is desperately trying to rescue us. A loving God sent his son down on earth so we don't have to spend eternity in hell. And he made the bar really, really low. You don't have to earn his forgiveness. You don't have to do a bunch of good deeds to, to get Jesus' forgiveness. 
You don't have to clock so many hours at church or spend so many times in, you know, hours in prayer. There isn't a big to-do list to get this forgiveness. To get God's forgiveness has a simple key. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from eternity separated from God. It's a faith step. And it's available to everyone. And maybe you're here today and you've never taken that, that faith step. Maybe you've been trying to, to earn God's forgiveness. You've been trying to, to figure this out and, and, and behave in a certain way and act in a certain way. You think that somehow that's going to get you right with God. And you feel like you take three steps forward but then five steps back. And you're struggling with this. And I have the greatest news for you today. Stop. Just Just stop. It's a faith step. Those behavior things will change later. When you start a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes inside you and he begins working on those behaviors. You can't do it on your own. If you could have, you would have, right? You would have flipped that switch. You would have kicked that habit. God wants your faith. And you can take that step here and now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. You might just pray something like this just to God. It's not so much the words that I'm saying, but it's, it's your heart conveying to him. God, I love you. God, I admit today that, that I've sinned, that I know that my destination, my eternity is separated from you because of my sin. But God, today I want to choose life. So today I place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. God, I know I can't earn this forgiveness. God, I don't, I don't deserve this forgiveness, but God, I accept it as a free gift. I invite you to come into my life and begin changing me inside out, from the inside out, God, because I want to live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.